I, I sure am glad you're here. Uh, if you are new, I especially want to say welcome. I want you to feel uh, like this is the place you belong. Maybe it's like you've only here for the very first time, but will you feel valued and important? And if you're joining us online, we have so many folks for some reason. We know there's so many channels you can go to on the internet, so many places you can go, but somehow you've dialed in here and uh, only God knows why. Uh, but we're thrilled and excited. I want you to feel comfortable too. Uh, whether or not you're watching this in real time with us or maybe you're a first responder, uh, you're someone's on vacation, you're on a drive or you're in the hospital and you're watching this late at night. Uh, maybe you're someone who's wrestling with mental health issues and you're just kind of scanning, looking for things and all you, you stumbled upon us. I want, to, I want you to look me in the eye and I want you to hear me say, you're welcome here and we're so glad you're part of this. Uh, whether you're in the house or you're online, uh, whether you're in the sanctuary, uh, we didn't come here uh, we didn't connect online here just to hear a little music, uh, just to see some people do their little post online. I hope that you came here to meet with God. Now, I want to reiterate, you can meet with God anywhere. Uh, you don't have to be at church. Uh, you don't need a pastor. You can meet with God anytime, anywhere you want. Uh, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit is present, and wherever you are, uh, you can do that. You can meet with God. But I think in part, you have come to this place of worship, or you've connected with us just because you want to meet with God. And sometimes people go to worship, and they never have a God encounter. And sometimes it's because you don't believe in God. And you're welcome here, too. But I want you to know that God believes in you, even though you may not believe in God. And so just to kind of give you an opportunity to kind of be still, I know your lives are busy, you're always rushed, right? You're just trying to push through, always in a hurry. Uh, I'm just going to be still, be quiet for a couple of minutes, and just be in the presence of God. So let's, let's do that, whether you're online or in the house, let's do that right now. God, we have assembled uh, near and far from across the United States, around the globe, even around our local community, God, and here in this building uh, to meet with you. To hear a word from you, to experience the touch of your love and your healing grace upon our lives to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by your spirit. So as we open your word, God, we ask you to teach, you to redirect, you to correct, uh, you to heal us, shape us, mold us. God, just have your way with us. And God, for those that are assembled here or connected 
that aren't sure if they believe in you, just make yourself known to them as only you can in a very loving way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We are in the middle of a study. In fact, this is our fourth week of a study of the most famous words that have ever been written in the history of the world about love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I personally, I am reading those, those cha- this chapter several times a day, uh, multiple times. Uh, I'm trying to commit it to memory. I'm hoping you're doing the same, that you're trying to commit this to memory, uh, not just for the sake of memory, and not to get, get it in your mind, but to so much. I'm trying to get it so much into my life that loving people just becomes natural because it's just so much on the inside of me. And I'm hoping that you're doing the same thing. And we are trying, one of our goals is to release this passage from the captivity of its romantic captivity that it's all about a wedding. You know, from frilly, expensive dresses that you buy, you only wear once. From garters that are thrown over the shoulder that someone catches it, supposedly going to change your life forever. From these toasts that people go on and on and on and nobody ever remembers. In other words, a wedding. Now, this scripture can be read at weddings. I'm sure I will read it again. If you are getting married, you invite me to read this scripture. I'll read it. Okay, it's not a big. It's okay. But I want to make sure that no one gets at the end of this series and you don't understand. This is not the purpose for which this chapter 13, called the love chapter, was written. Uh, Paul is addressing a church, and he's not sending them a Valentine. Here's what he's saying. You're sorry at loving. You stink at it. You give love a bad name. In fact, he's saying, you're kind of hard to love yourself. And if you would just do the opposite, if you would do the opposite of what you're doing, uh, you might be a little more lovable and represent uh, what I have to say about what it means to love. Now, really what Paul is doing here in these openings texts, he is teaching us about life and what he is telling you and me, that life is measured by how well you love. That's just a fact. Spiritual maturity. You want to figure out how, how spiritually mature someone is? It's how well they love. That's the essence of the scriptures. And I hope that we're beginning to learn, to learn that to love is about your character. It really is. It's a character thing. It's about the character of God and me imitating, living out the character of God. Now, a lot of times, this is what many of us pray. We think, you know what, God? I, I could be more loving if you would just give me more lovable people around me, right? And you read the scripture. And you think, well, Paul is telling me, you know, he's just telling me, hey, you need to go find more loving people to hang out with. That's not what he's saying at all. He is asking you and me to make a commitment to grow and to become more loving people, to become more like Jesus himself and to love the way he loved. And so Paul writes in his first line here, chapter 4, he says, love, what is it? Well, love is patient, and love is kind, 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. In other words, to love is to have this internal conviction that I'm going to orient my whole life toward another person, toward what makes them feel good, to where they feel love and experience love. My, that's my whole life. That's what he's saying. It's a conviction. And then he goes on and he reads there in the next verse, uh, love, verse 5, love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love is not irritable. Now let that sink in for a second, some of you. Don't be elbowing the person next to you. Love is not irritable. Now this is an important life lesson because life is full of irritants. They're everywhere. Irritation is any time your will by anyone or anything is frustrated. That's what irritation is. When your will is frustrated. Some of you, your mask, would you say that's an irritant? Would you say some people who think or believe differently about you and when and where and how and should about wearing masks, do you sometimes find those people irritating? Your boss tells you to work at home, you want to work at the office. Your boss tells you to work at the office, you want to work at home. Irritating. You got your kids with school, right? You got to go to work. They're going to be online. Or you want them to you want them to be in the house and they want to go to the school. How irritating this changing things. Restaurants, poor service, you get so irritated. You're driving down the road, driving the highway. You're trying to do what your pastor said, and you're driving the speed limit. And somebody in the same highway as you didn't come to church, <laughs> didn't learn that love is patient, cuts right in front of you. And just like that, you lose it, right? And you get so irritated, and you give them a hand gesture that is not of God. <laughs> Irritations are everywhere. In fact, the most irritating thing in the world are people. Around here at Pathway, we have this statement, online or in the house, we say, everybody is welcome, and you are. And everybody's an irritant. And you are. I promise you, you are an irritant to somebody. And you're irritable around somebody else. But the scripture says love is not irritable. Now, I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say here in the middle of this verse. He doesn't say love does not get angry. He says love is not easily angered. Anger is a natural emotion that you feel. 
It's an emotion that you feel anytime your will is frustrated, people get angry. And anger is this force, it is this energy that allows you to cope or to deal with what is frustrating your will. And the challenge is to manage that anger to where it becomes problematic. Now, irritability, back, back to the word irritability. Irritability is a mood. But in your notes, number two, if you're taking notes, love is not moody. Whoa. Now, let's talk about that for a second. There's an event. Here's the event. So some event happens right here. There's an event, and when that event happens, the first thing that triggers a thought in your brain. You have a thought. You see something. You experience something. You have a thought, and that thought triggers an emotion based on what you think, whatever the emotion is. If that emotion gets so big, and you don't, imagine, you don't manage the anger or whatever, whatever the emotion is, it spills over into drama. Let me repeat that. Anytime you have an emotion that is bigger or larger than what the event really warrants, and you don't manage that emotion well, it's, that's why people are drama people, drama kings and drama queens. And if you don't manage the emotion well in the drama, it lingers over into a mood. And you get stuck in this moody situation, and love is not moody. Now, in general, there are two kinds of moods. Good moods and bad moods. And irritability is one of those bad moods. Love is not moody. Now, what would be my mood if something happens, there's an event, my mind triggers in, I have this belief system, and I start thinking, I start thinking, hey, there is a God, I believe in God, God is love, God is good. I am a child of God. I am an heir of all the resources, of all the character, the essence of who God is. God knows the plans that he has for me, plans not to harm me, plans to give me hope, plans to prosper me, give, give me a future. What if I believe, and I'm thinking, I, I know what I believe, God became flesh through Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What if my thought has dwelled upon that? If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation for anyone like me who is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me, not even me, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
nothing. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The tomb is empty. The old has gone. The new has come. If he is for me, who can be against me? Now, let me ask you. If those are some of the thoughts in my brain going on when something happens, what sort of mood am I going to be in? Maybe a joy fill? Maybe peace, even though this was chaos? At the very least, I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to be hope-filled. But people who are in an irritable stuck, bad sort of mood are focusing their thoughts on all that is wrong and all that is bad and all that is dwelling, 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 dwelling on all that gunk. Now let me ask you, uh, who is in charge of your mind? Who gets to run the programming department of what goes in or stays in or goes out of this little thing called your brain. Who chooses what you think about? Uh, that'd be you. That'd be you. You get to choose right here what you're going to think, your thought about this, whatever this is. You get to choose. The greatest freedom that God has given you, and it's a freedom that nobody can take away unless you give it away, and so many of you have. Anytime you say to someone, you make me feel, you have given them away your freedom to choose, you choose what you think because your feelings are connected first to your thoughts. You've given up your power. The more you think a thought, remember, the more you think a thought, the easier it becomes to think that thought again. And people who are stuck in bad moods, who are in irritable moods or low moods, or someone who is stuck and focused on that sort of thinking that puts them into that sort of place. Now, let me ask you. Someone who is a kind of a natural bent towards that. They've created these neural pathways in their brain, have a natural bent. Their trigger is when something happens, boom, to think the worst, boom, to get irritated, boom, to get angry. Uh, where do they do that? Anywhere. Everywhere. They're that way at work. They're that way at home. They're that way with the kids. They're that way with their spouse. They're that way with who they're dating. They're that way at school. They're that way in the athletic event. They're that way watching sports. They're that way with talk radio. They're that way with the, with the National Republican or the Democratic Convention. They're always You name it. Uh, they can even be get irritable over something at church. Isn't that interesting? I think it's fascinating. At the very same event where someone's getting all bent out of shape, a person who is so filled with the love of God, 
uh, someone who is just saturated with the understanding of who God is. They see the exact same experience as an opportunity to bless somebody. They see it as an opportunity to pray for somebody. They see it as a moment to lift somebody up, to serve somebody, to encourage the very same situation that somebody else just gets in a bad mood and goes, oh, blah, 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 blah. Isn't that interesting? Take your, your coffee shop or your, your favorite coffee shop or the favorite place you like to go just to kind of go hang out. You name it. I don't care what it is. And so you either go in-house or you go to the drive-thru. I don't care. You name it. And you are one person away from getting up to get your coffee. And the person in front of you, all of a sudden they feel moved to enter into this conversation with this person that's the server. And all of a sudden they're having chit-chat and they're laughing and they're talking and they're just kind of having a good old time. And you're watching all this and you're going, just get your coffee and get on with it. You're, get, you're just slowing. You're just, you're just getting all irritated and bent out of shape. I mean, my gosh. Now, tell me what would happen, possibly, if you started off your day reading your Bible, 15 minutes, right? You call this your home, you know, 15 minutes at least. It's 15 minutes before you ever walk out the door. And it just so happens you're working on 1 Corinthians 13, and you get that part where it says, love is patient. Love is kind. And you just sit there for a second. You just sit there. And you go, huh. What if you have died to self that day? And today it's not going to be about me. And you're in that line, and you see that happening right before you. And instead of getting all bit out of shape, you go, man, that person is treating that person like a real human being. How awesome is that? Made that. I wonder how that changed and impacted that person. I think I, I want to do that too. Be a blessing to somebody. Same situation. Two different people, total different response. What's the difference? One saw a situation, and their first thought was, huh, irritation, anger, frustration, emotion, all this. The other person saw an opportunity to grow and to bless someone. Now, church, I just want to tell you, this doesn't happen by trying harder. If all you do is try harder, you will fail. Because your natural sinful nature, your natural bent is not to be that way. It will only happen if you sit every day unto the ever-continual, ever-flowing fountain of God's love. Just the fountain of God's love until it's so full. You're just drenched. You're just soaked in the goodness and the wonder and the beauty of who God is that it just naturally seeps out into other people's lives and it just happens naturally. If you're just working at it, it won't happen. It won't. That's why that relationship with God is so critically important. Now, this thing called irritation, uh, it, it's an issue because irritation is a gateway emotion. This is why some of you really need to get this. Irritation is a gateway into sarcasm and resentment. Sarcasm and resentment begin with irritation. It will slowly 
eat away at a marriage. It will slowly cause your kids to go to college and not come home for the holidays. It destroys and demolishes churches all over the world. It even sometimes morphs into hostility and violence. Now please hear this. You can be an angry person or an irritated person and not become violent. But every single violent person who is hostile and violent, somewhere there was an irritation. Love is not irritable and love is not violent. Now, the question here I'm asking is what produces an irritable character? And the scripture kind of answers it for us. What, how does someone become such an irritable person? Right, right here at the very end of that verse, it says, uh, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, the challenge with that is that we're all record keepers. Uh, you were made that way. Uh, we all store up these certain experiences, thoughts, and feelings in the hard drive of our mind. And there are some of them we bring them back to our present awareness. But people who keep record of wrongs, they keep bringing up those experiences over and over and over and over and over and over again. They got them ticked. They got them upset. And they just room. The technical term is ruminate. Now, please hear this. That when you ruminate... When you come back to this experience and you think about it and replay it over and over and over again in your head, you reconnect yourself with the original emotion that you felt when it first happened. And your thoughts determine what you feel. And people do it intentionally. And here's one of the reasons why is that when you do that on a continual basis and you're remembering someone who hurt you, someone who did something to you, someone who stabbed you, someone who got to you, you remember it and it gives you anger, it gives you power over them and you feel this moral superiority of they did me wrong and you feel bitter about yourself because you're remembering and that anger kind of wells up within you or, or you do the other extreme. You go back and you remember the experience, you remember how you felt, and you tell the story over in your head, and it makes you feel, oh, pity party. Oh, it gives your mood a little self, a little pity mood. And I get stuck in this all, it kind of validates your victimhood. I'm a victim. Everybody's trying to get me. Everybody's having this way my life is. Everybody's out after me. And it just validates your ability to play the victim card in your little pity party. Now, church. I am an expert at both extremes. I have got the art down. I'm great at it. I know the certain wrongdoings and the hurt and the betrayal of me, and I know what it does to me. If, 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 I, if I could remember Bible verses as well as I could remember all the different ways I've been hurt, I've been wronged, uh, I've been mistreated, I would have the Bible memorized frontwards and backwards. I could quote it to you verbatim just like that. 
And here's the problem. Your brain is the original Spotify. Your brain is the original Pandora. The more you think of thought, your brain, your Spotify, your Pandora, it knows your greatest hits you want to hear. And it starts playing them in your subconscious even though you don't ask them to play. And when that happens, it connects you with that emotion, which takes you to that drama and that mood, and you see the cycle and the danger that is going place here. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But love keeps records. Love keeps records of things to be grateful for. You know what I made a record for earlier while Judy was praying? You know what I heard? I heard a little child. I said, Daddy. Did you hear that? Daddy. That made me smile. It might have made some of you irritated. It made me smile. I made a record of that, that, that moment of give God thanks for the children in this church, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Yeah, for that one too. <laughs> See, that's what love does. Love keeps those kind of records. It remembers qualities in people that you admire, that when you see them, you go, ah, man, I just admire that about that person. Love remembers moments of joy that you savor. Judy talked to you about the retreat that we went on last week for our executive leadership team, and she's still savoring that moment where the deer came across the back, and she saw the beauty of the nature, and she's, that's what love does. It makes records the things you want to savor, but it also makes records of suffering. Love doesn't forget suffering. Because when you remember suffering, it deepens the substance of your life, how life has meaning and purpose and how your faith was increased even in the midst of the suffering. That's what love does. In fact, in your notes, love keeps record of rights. Uh, that's what it does. Love keeps record of rights. Uh, just the opposite of what, uh, love, what, what it says Scripture does. And over in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, uh, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, he's just not saying, hey, I want you to think about things that are in this Bible all the time. Think about Christian music. Think about church. Think about religious stuff. Hey, I think that's a good thing to do. But it's actually pointing us to the world. Hey, think about things in the world that are beautiful. The creation, great food, great restaurants, great rock music, babies being born, great books, great literature, great symphonic music, beautiful paintings, things that stir your soul to focus on those things and see where that takes your life and where that takes your mood. And see, and the problem is, there are just some people that likes to focus on the problem or the irritation all of the time. They're focused on the wrong stuff. 
irritable people are. But loving people, number four there in your notes, they think excellent thoughts. They think excellent thoughts. And have you ever noticed somebody where it just seems like you're just natural? It just natural, just flow, just, just natural, loving things, hopeful things, kind things. It just naturally flows out of them. You know why it flows out of them outward? You know why it's happening outward? Because inward, inward, it reflects the thoughts and the, the thoughts and the feelings they have inward. It's a natural expression outward. You can see pretty quickly if it's fake. And it doesn't happen by trying harder. Someone who says, hey, I'm living under the loving care of God. I'm living under the loving care of God. I'm living under the loving care of God. And I think that I'm living under the loving care of God. And when I think that, I want to look for some people to be patient and kind with. That's just what naturally happens. And it just flows out of you and others. It's natural. Dallas and I, my wife, uh, on customary, it's pretty customary, we go to Sprouts on Saturdays, uh, particular Sprouts over by Hewlett Mall. There's one close to us over in Mansfield, but we go to the one up by Hewlett Mall. And I've learned we like to go to Sprouts, I like to go to Sprouts, because at Sprouts, they hire some folks who have had some serious life challenges. I have learned that. Uh, maybe some other places wouldn't hire. And I know I've heard some of their stories, and that's one of the reasons I like to go. And there's one place I like to go, the deli counter, because that's where I met Rosie. I'm just going to give, give her the name Rosie. Rosie, uh, Rosie works all over the store, but she particularly works behind the deli counter where I go and get my shaved boar's head turkey for the week. And I heard her story, and when I heard her story, I thought, wow, man, my life is easy. Uh, my life is pretty simple. I don't have any hardship. One particular day I go in there to see Rosie, I uh, get, get my, my boar's head, a turkey, and Rosie meets me there at the deli, and she's carving up what I want, slicing it exactly the way I like it, and so forth and so on. And I noticed in the way that Rosie, she looked a little down. She looked a little downcast. And I said, Rosie, what's wrong? She said, oh, nothing, Rick. There's nothing really wrong. I said, oh, Rosie, there's something wrong. What's going on? She started telling me. The line's getting long behind me. I bet I stayed there for 10 or 12 minutes, just listening to Rosie, just kind of unload. When she got finished, I just looked at her and I said, hug? It was during the peak of COVID, you know, back in summer. I said, hug? She said, please. So I hugged her. Prayer? Please. Just a simple prayer blessing over. We were done. You would have thought I gave her a check for a million dollars or paid for her kids to go to college. She was so, have so, so thankful. And when I came back the next week to, to Sprouts, guess who was looking for me? Not just Rosie. Everybody who worked behind the deli. Because <laughs> Rosie told them all about the crazy guy who held up the line for 10 or 12 minutes to listen to her story, give her a little hug, and give her a little short little prayer of blessing. So now guess what I do when I go to Sprouts? <laughs> I listen to a lot of stories. And I give a short little hug and a short little prayer. When I go to Sprouts, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not always a good guy. Sometimes I fail miserably in just being a decent human being. 
but when I go to Sprouts, I'm thinking about Rosie and her friends. And it just brings out the best. And, and you know who has the best blessing? Me. Me. See, that, that, that's what love does. Love thinks and records the good memories. I want to go back and do that again and do that again and do that again. That's what love does. It records those moments. It savors those experiences, opportunities to serve, to bless, to encourage, to lift up babies, brand new babies, crying kids in worship, beautiful sunsets, aging adults, wrinkles in their face so deep. That reminds us of the saints who've been faithful to God for many years. There are sometimes I just think about my mom and dad, 90 and almost 83. And when I just think about my mom and dad, it changes my whole mood. Hey, when can I go back to Sprouts? Got to go check on Rosie. I'm at my best. Now, church, this irritable thing, it is very important because your mood can kill or lift up someone and it touches their soul. Listen, we're talking about people's souls, the very inner being of their life. How you treat and react and respond to people can crush them or lift them it's important it's a matter of life and death in fact one little example of this as we move toward uh, wrapping this teaching up is over in uh, the so uh, Solomon uh, we had a uh, we had the Samuel we had the story of Saul who was the king and Saul was a, a boisterous king he, he was trying to defeat the Philistines, and they, he sends out David to go fight the Philistines, and they win the battle. I mean, they win. Uh, people are singing and dancing, the scriptures say in chapter 18. Uh, they're dancing, and they're singing a song, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. We're so happy. And then it says, Saul was very angry, verse 8. This song, this refrain, this song displeased him greatly. Might as well say it irritated him greatly. Now think about this. Why is Saul irritated? Why is he angry? Read the scriptures. Read the story of Saul. He's always in a bad mood. Why? They just won the battle. He, he hired David. He actually called David. David, go fight the battle. Go do it. David did it. They, king, the whole nation wins. Why? Because his whole thought. The event happened, his whole thought was, man, the people love David more than they love me. I'm not going to get any of the credit. Yeah, we won the battle, but oh my gosh, they want David to be king. It's my crown. I got to fight. I gotta, it's my crown. David can't have that crown. And he starts getting insecure, parent of focusing on his insecurity, focusing on his fear, focus on that, and man, he sinks into a bad mood. He's paranoid to the point that he starts hating David. You see, that's what bitterness and resentment does. It turns into hate. 
and he tried to kill him. Now, thank goodness, David's best friend was Saul's son. His name was Jonathan. And Jonathan loved David, and David loved Jonathan. And Jonathan said, I'm going to talk to my dad. He's got to stop this stuff. See, that's what love does sometimes. Sometimes love gets a little tick, and it goes to step up on behalf of somebody else. And that's what he did. And Saul knew it, got ticked at his son. It says he got angry at his son, threw a spear at him, tried to kill his own kid. And in verse 34, it says, Jonathan gets up from the table in fierce anger at what his dad had done. And here's what happened. Saul wanted his son Jonathan to be afraid. You know why someone tries to make you afraid? They try to make you afraid so you will run. Fear is all about making you run. Anger is to give you the power to stand up to fear. That's why sometimes you feel anger. It gives you power to stand up to fear. And that's what Jonathan did. But Jonathan managed his anger. It didn't become bitterness because... How did Jonathan die? Fighting side by side with his dad, whom he was loyal to, even though he was angry because anger did not turn into a mood that broke and destroyed the relationship. What's even miraculous in that is that after both Jonathan and Saul had died, over in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9, uh, David raises the question. He says, uh, who can I show kindness to in the house of Saul? For Jonathan's sake. And Jonathan had a son, Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. And it says four different times he ate the king's table. He could have taken David out because he was his rival. But why did David do that? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Right? Verse first, verse 5 says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of my enemies. David said, I think I'm going to take Mephibosheth to Sprouts and buy him some shaved turkey. I'm going to show him patience and kindness. Now, there's one more thing that love does, that irritation and a mood bad mood will never do. And I'm going to explain it to you like this. And then I'll give you your last blank to write in for those that you just can't leave until the last blank is written in. If you're a recovery person, and I want to tell you I love recovery people, some of the healthiest people in the world, and man, you're welcome here, especially because you teach me so much. In the recovery world, they tell this parable, like a parable. There's this boat to recovery, and on it are people who have addictions. They have trust issues. They have habits. They have hang-ups. They have dysfunctional family stuff they've not resolved, and they're all on this boat to go to recovery. And they take off going to the land of recovery, and they notice back Mary didn't quite get to the ship on time. And Mary comes to the dock, and she's standing there. And they go, Mary, dive in, dive in, swim, dive in, Mary. Come on, come get on the boat. Let's go recover. And Mary says, okay, and she dives in, and she starts to swim. But Mary uh, can't keep her head above the water. She's sinking. She's swimming, but she's sinking. And they say, Mary, 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 oh, Mary, 
You're carrying a rock. Mary, 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 drop the rock. Drop the rock. And sure enough, Mary is swimming, holding this big old rock. And the rock is her addiction. The rock is her anger at her parents. The rock is her bitterness against her dad for abusing her. The rock is her depression. The rock is her identity. The rock is what makes her angry to give her power against the people who have hurt her. Her rock is the very thing that allows her to play the victim and to tell the story and feel sorry for herself over and over and over again. And they're saying, drop the rock, Mary. She said, if I drop the rock, this is my identity. Who will I be if I drop my rock? I mean, this is my... And then in a moment of moral sanity, she said, what am I doing? This rock is killing me. Caused me to be bitter. It's poisoned my past. Don't even have to think about the past. Have no joy today. And I dread tomorrow. Oh, I just dread tomorrow. It's going to be the same thing all over again. And I can't do anything. All I got to do, I'm holding this stupid rock, and I think about this rock all the time. It's just got me so weighted down. But if I let it go, and in a moment of moral sanity and clarity, she dropped the rock. She dove in the water, and she got on the boat, healing and she began to live last thing in your notes love this is something only love will do love will drop the bitter rocks of yesterday anger won't do that anger is going to hold on to it <laughs> no, no I'm going to hold on to this one baby irritation pity feeling sorry for yourself you're going to hold on to it but love, for the sake of the, your family, your friends, and the place that you lay it down is you lay it down right under, right under, right under the cross. You just put it down under the cross. So you see it's on that cross where anger and bitterness and violence and hatred and envy and jealousy it was all demolished and it was done with love forgiveness forever So I want to ask you here as we get ready to walk out of here. Is there a rock you need to set down once and for all? Somebody hurt you. They lied to you. They betrayed you. 
They abused you. They tricked you. Maybe it's an addiction. Depression. Something. We're going to end this service the same way we started, by just giving you a moment online in the house, just a moment, just to kind of grab at your mind what that rock is. And I want you to symbolically, wherever you are, in the sanctuary, online, in the, in the building, just to symbolically set that rock on the ground and picture you putting it at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Put it there. In fact, you might even want to say, Jesus, I'm, just, I'm, I'm letting go. I'm giving it to you. I'm putting it down. My hands are free. My mind. Pastor, I can't do that. That person that hurt me, they, they've died. That person that hurt me, they just, they, they never, they never said they were sorry. Listen, they don't have to say they're sorry. They can be dead and still you can let go of the rock. Let it go. final act is to turn your hands over upward towards heaven, sit them on your lap and just say with me I am loved and cared for by God say it with me, I am loved and cared for by God I am loved and cared for by God I am loved and cared for by God I am loved I am cared for by God and you just sit Sink it in and soak it in until it's true. Until you're just filled with it. But remember, the only way you can keep it is to give it away. Love is patient. Love is kind. It keeps no record of wrong.